Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Hockey. Grace, we are getting towards the end of December and obviously then the end of the year. As we normally do, we'll take a little bit of time off of today on Broadway around the holidays. One, because we want to be able to celebrate the holidays and and relax and be with family and friends. But also, there's just very rarely any ever news during the Christmas, New Year's week, the week in between then or around there. So we'll take some time off, but we will still have an episode every single day. We'll be doing a number of different things Uh, Looking back at this previous year and looking forward to the next year. Also, maybe doing a little review here or there of some theatrically related content. So we will do that. But also, Grace, we need to schedule a few Patreon things. So if you are a member of our Patreon and want to be included in all that exclusive content, make sure that you subscribe at patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. Usually the exclusive content starts at the mezzanine tier and above, but it goes up. We will have some exclusive exclusive episodes. We will also have some uh, quarterly meet and greets in there. So pay attention to that. If you want to be involved with it, head over to the website at Patreon to get signed up. All right. Now, Grace, this is kind of a blending of both theater and film because the 2023 Blacklist was released this weekend. If people are unfamiliar with what the Blacklist is, we've actually talked about it fairly recently. I forget the context, but um, it is a list of the best unproduced Hollywood screenplays. I'll have a link where you can check out the full list, but one of them is called Boy Falls from Sky, and it is written by screenwriter Hunter Toro. The screenplay follows an anxious playwright who is writing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. So this is not officially, at least in the materials from the Blacklist, based off of Glenn Berger's book, Song of Spider-Man, The Inside Story of the Most Controversial Musical in Broadway History. Glenn Berger was the original book writer for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. He is a playwright as well. So unless they are going completely fictional, it sounds like it's going to be based off of Glenn Berger as a person. We don't know if it is based off of his book or not, but it was included in the blacklist and I'll have that full list. But like the book is out there. Julie Taymor has kind of talked about this as the director. It feels like, Grace, even though we are now more than a decade since this musical, for whatever reason, people still cannot get enough of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, even though when it was on Broadway, nobody really cared. Yeah, but the sensational nature of the story is not normal. You know what I mean? It's not something that happens every single day. Shows that you know, don't run for a very long time. That's a short story. Shows that run for a very long time with many changes and millions and millions of dollars. That's a story. And especially within the theater community, we've not had many instances where this is the case. And especially like in the film industry, there's no kind of like dramatic turn. It's just like, oh, that that movie lost a billion dollars next. Like there's nothing intriguing there as, as far as, you know, what's covered in the news. And I think that There are people that continue to talk about this story that are not involved in the theater community, and that's how you know this is spread so wide. I will never forget when my high school uh, was planning their kind of like senior trip or whatever, and they pulled all the students, and the show was brand new, still in previews, which, you know, the preview period was forever. Um, Like six months, all of the students requested that that was one of, if not the show, the musical that they saw in New York City. 
And I was the only student to opt out <laughs> because I wanted to take a chance on the second week of previews for a show called The Book of Mormon. Thank God I did it. <laughs> so it's just, it's something that far reaches beyond the theatrical community. And I think that it makes sense that somebody would sensationalize it in this way. I'm surprised that there's not been a Ryan Murphy Presents feud, Spider-Man versus the Dark, uh, you know, uh-huh. for FX. I'm just, I, it's no surprise to me at all. I think for legal reasons, it's not based on that individual, but maybe it is. I don't know. But um, yeah. yeah, it's not a shock at all. So just to be clear, I said it was in previews for six months. It was actually over seven. It began previews on November 28th of 2010 and officially opened on June 14th, 2011. It did run until January of 2014. So it had like a, you know, a, a three plus year run, but certainly did not make that money back uh, on that show. It is fascinating. And that's interesting, Grace, because I also saw Book of Mormon in that first couple week of previews thing. So it would be, I wish, I don't think I have my ticket anymore, but maybe I do. It would be fascinating if we were in the theater at the same time to see that show. That would be, uh, that'd be wild. Anyway, uh, unless you know the date of yours, I don't think we'll ever find out. So, well, I, I will say it was a really meta thing that I was sitting in uh, like two rows ahead of Steve Martin. And that was his first time seeing Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells and then turn around to like 2023. Now Steve Martin and um, Martin Short were on as, you know, quote producers in Gutenberg. At, yeah. um, at Gutenberg. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most meta thing ever. <laughs> um, Paul Rudd was there. It was, it was nuts. So I'm sure I could find the date. Okay. Well, I was there in, in a similar thing to you. I also saw someone famous there because I was there when Jimmy Fallon was seeing the show and I was a couple rows behind Jimmy Fallon. So unless they were all there on the same night, probably not the same performance, but nonetheless, uh, pretty fun. Good memories too. And you know, like you go into a show and you don't know anything about it because the cast album hasn't been out. The, the, the reviews aren't out. That, that's kind of fun. But anyway, let's get back to the news. And this is a show that very much could be the greatest thing of all time just based off of its source material because there is apparently a new stage musical adaptation of the Paddington Bear franchise in the works, not only based on the original books, but also based off of the subsequent film series that has been out and very, very popular recently. Jessica Swale, who is a playwright and director, is writing the book. And Tom Fletcher, who is part of a band that I'm not familiar with, but I am sure at least draws some sort of inspiration from Back to the Future, The McFlies, uh, is writing the songs. Luke Shepard, the director of Anne Juliet, is attached to direct it. It is currently just called Paddington, colon, the musical. Obviously, this is UK-based with all of those folks. I have to admit, Grace, I know that there are some people that claim like Paddington 2 is the greatest movie of all time. I still have not seen it, and I'm unfamiliar with the, the McFly's music, but if it's just based off of the fervor that we get talking about a new Paddington movie, like I feel like people will at least be excited about this. Yeah, Matt, what's wrong with you? Paddington 2 is so good. Um, you've got to see it. Over this holiday break, we are all challenging Matt Tamanini to see Paddington 2 and tell us about his thoughts for a Patreon exclusive. I'm saying it there now. Um, and it's it's so good. It's so special. And I think that it brings a lot of families and friends together. It's just one of those like lovely modern classics. Even though Paddington's been around forever, it's like the film franchise has not. So um, I think that this is going to be really, really special. 
Yeah, very cool. All right, let's real quick talk about last week's Broadway grosses. I won't get into it too, too much. There was the same amount of 26 shows on Broadway, but the grosses did go up 4% to come in at $30,723,247. That is actually 20% down from the previous year. However, there were nine more shows running during that particular week in 2022 than there were in 2023, and that's actually 34% more. So on a per show average, it was more than the previous season but down in terms of the actual total. Attendance, including me at a lot of them, were uh, was at 227,099 people. Average ticket price was remaining within 50 cents of the previous week at $135.29. What is interesting, there are 26 shows on Broadway. 15 of them grossed over a million dollars. That was led, of course, by The Lion King at $2,408,303. Wicked was in second. Another week where we have two shows north of $2 million. We have not seen that in quite a while, but we are seeing it now. Wicked was at 2.26. Merrily was at 1.92. Sweeney Todd, again, just seven performances at 1.85. And Hamilton was in fifth at 1.8. The rest of the shows north of seven figures in descending order are MJ, Aladdin, Moulin Rouge, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Back to the Future, and Juliet, A Beautiful Noise, The Book of Mormon, Gutenberg, and Six. And then there was Some Like It Hot, which was pretty close behind as well. So a good week overall. Down at the other end of the scale was How to Dance in Ohio, but that was its opening week. So a lot of comps and stuff like that. They were just shy of $309,000, which isn't great, but hopefully that picks up because of the reviews and when there aren't as many comps. But after that, like there was a $220,000 jump up to the next show on the list, which was appropriate or appropriate. And that's still in previews. So there's a pretty big jump between what's at the bottom of the grosses ladder up to what is next. And so a show like appropriate doing $530,000 at the Helen Hayes theater, which is the tiniest of tiny Broadway houses, Grace. I feel like that at least is a pretty good sign for what is to come for these holidays. We know that once there is this explosion of new shows in the new year, the ticket buying population is going to be spread out pretty thin across all of those shows. But for now, with only 26 shows on Broadway during the holidays, that this feels like there are still a lot of people coming in to see these shows if these are what the numbers look like right now. Yeah, that's that's a really nice sign. It's a really positive thing for all of us. And I'm, I'm really surprised and elated to see those numbers uh, popping up and a mixture of shows. Like, I don't think that any of them are similar by any means. So I think that these are all good things. A mix of like, you know, jukebox, um, yeah. you know, uh, existing IP, um, original, Revivals. all that good stuff. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into some show and casting news. And this is really, really disappointing. And I'd imagine frustrating for a lot of ticket buyers because one of the hottest tickets in New York right now is Danny and the Deep Blue Sea. But on Tuesday night when we're recording through Thursday the 14th, both of the stars of this two-hander will be out due to illness. Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott will be out. They don't say, I mean, if they're only out for a couple days, it's probably, I don't want to assume, but probably not COVID. So I'm going to assume anyway, even though I don't want to. But for the time being, understudies Catherine Romans and Jake Silberman will step in for those roles. It is such a limited run, and it's already extended a little bit. Like It's one of those things where I don't know that they are able to offer uh, exchanges or even add additional dates because it is pretty much completely sold out, and it has been since the day the tickets went on sale, more or less. Um, so disappointed for those audience members. I'm sure these understudies are fantastic, but when you build an entire show 
around having two stars and both of the stars are out. That's rough. And I feel bad for uh, the people who spent a considerable amount of money to see this show to have both of the stars out. Um, Going from New York over to London, this is news that is kind of cool, a little surprising, but there's a lot of things I guess we could get into on this that we don't need to get into on a theater podcast. But Felicity Huffman will be making her UK stage debut in a revival of Taylor Max Her. The show will begin performances on February 15th at the Park Theater in London. She will be directed by Stephen Kunis. We have the entire cast in the show notes. Felicity Huffman went to like studied acting in in London, but this is the first time she will be on stage. I have to be honest with you, Grace. I don't know that I remember her. Is this the first thing she's done since the entrance exam scandal from a few years ago? No, I think that she's had um, something on screen, but has she? Okay, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, but who knows? Yeah, I I know. um, Aunt Becky uh, Lori Laughlin has done a number of movies for the anti-LGBTQ channel, uh, Great American Family. Like she got booted from Hallmark, so she went over to the bigoted version of Hallmark. So uh, I know she's been doing things, but I I wasn't 100% sure uh, about what Felicity Huffman has done. Of course, both she and her husband, William H. Macy, are longtime stage and screen stars. Felicity Huffman was an Oscar nominee and, and has Emmy Awards. Her husband, William H. Macy, is one of the founders of the Atlantic Theater Company, and so lots of theater connections there, too. So be interested to see what that. And I think it's kind of interesting that she is working on a Taylor Mac show. It's not that's not the playwright that I normally think of having like huge stars attached, although I guess uh, Gary uh, had some pretty big stars on Broadway. So interested to see what that's all about. All right, coming back to New York City and going to the public theater, we had another casting announcement that involved a a stage and screen star that we know primarily from TV. But this is for the world premiere of Itamar Moses's The Ally. That'll be beginning performances also on February 15th. This one is currently scheduled to run through March 10th. We already knew that Josh Radner, which most people know from How I Met Your Mother, we already knew that he was going to be starring in this show directed by Lila Neugebauer. We had the rest of the cast announced on Tuesday, including Sharice Booth, Elijah Jones, Michael Khalid Kardashi, Joy Osmanski, Ben Rosenfeld, Madeline Weinstein, and others. In the show, Radner plays Asif, who is thrown into conflict as a liberal, husband, academic, American, atheist, and Jewish person when he is asked to sign on a social justice manifesto. Grace, that is a topic that I just don't want to see on stage. Like, that is something that just makes me cringy already like the rip from the headlines version of it but knowing that itamar moses wrote it like i'm a little less given the willies about it just because i know what an incredibly insightful and and human and authentic playwright he is but like this just feels like i want to write a hot button issue show and i'm gonna i'm gonna tackle all of those uh those topics at once it makes me a little nervous but Lila's directing, Itamar wrote wrote it. I feel a little bit more comfortable about it than I probably normally would. Well, Josh is really great. He's also like a great writer. Um, He's Mm -hmm. he's had a lot of his like as a playwright. um, He also has a really great emails like Substack. Like he has a great um, sign up for his email list. Newsletter. Um, There was also a newsletter. Yeah. Um, He also there was uh, there was an article that came out today, I think, that was like Josh Radner is in love and like how he's kind of like found this new passion of his. I mean, he has a a band as well. That's kind of like, a you know, indie rock, something or other. Like I actually 
I think that the collaboration between him and that team is really important for the storytelling of, of what you're talking about, because I agree with you. I think that sometimes people go, well, I, I, I just need to write this right now. And I'm like, do you? <laughs> but do you, you know, yeah. and um, do you um, is my question. <laughs> but um, I think that I agree with you. I would like to put my trust in those people's hands for a moment and give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, 100%. All right. This is a new musical that is going in to have an industry reading coming up here later this week. It is going to be done by Art Lab, and it is a new musical that was created by Meg Fafanoff, and it features a book and additional lyrics by Eric Holmes and music and lyrics by Broadway's own Chalina Kennedy. She also co-wrote it with Daniel Edmonds. Kennedy is going to direct the reading as well. It's going to happen on Friday, and some of the members of this cast are pretty fantastic. Julian Ovendine, Jackie Burns, Eddie Cooper, Aisha Jackson, Kevin Cahoon, James Harkness, Haley Kaleem Wright, Nasia Thomas, as well as Jen Colella is going to be involved with that, who she has a long history with Chalina Kennedy, both personally and professionally. Uh, so that is very cool. Zoe Jensen, who I just actually saw in a reading last week, is also going to be in this one as well. So lots of very cool stuff. I'm interested to hear what this show is. Oh, I don't think I mentioned the name of it. It's called Silk, um, and it is based on Emile Zola's The Lady's Paradise. So be interested to see what happens with this. You get a cast like that. That is a room that I would want to be in, even if it is. I, I don't care what they're doing, but with that much talent, that is something I would certainly want to hear. All right, Grace, yesterday uh, on yesterday's show, I talked about the fact that Waitress, the musical, did very well at the box office in its first weekend, finished eighth, grossed uh, $3.2 million and very limited release. Well, Bleecker Street was so encouraged by the outing over the first weekend, they have now extended it. It is going to extend it through the holiday season because of all of the great performances and uh, the performance of the film and the sellouts across the country. It is now going to open on 1,214 screens, which is huge for a property like this. That's 30% more than it had been opened uh, during that first week. So uh, ecstatic about that. I went and saw it on Monday night. I loved it. I wept openly, but it was in the dark so no one could see it for the last 15 minutes of the film, which I pretty much do every time I see it on stage as well. It starts with take it from an old man and I pretty much don't stop crying until the very end. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, please, please check that out. Um, Grace, maybe that can be something that we talk about on uh, an episode coming up later this year because we both watched it uh, now. So very, very cool. I love that. And if you haven't seen it, you now have more opportunities to do so. All right. I just have this is not necessarily a traditional recommendation, but it comes from Philip Boroff in the Broadway Journal, and he runs down kind of the financials of the off-Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors and how the show has taken advantage of the Small Business Administration's Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program and how they use the money they got from that to kind of not only come back post-pandemic, but to weather the storm of a an entire quarter where they lost money to where normally that would be something, Grace, where a show would just close. And because they had this grant from the Small Business Administration, they were able to kind of like get through those difficult times coming out of the pandemic and whether people were still coming back to Broadway or to New York in theater at, at all. 
And now it's just doing gangbusters. It talks about how much money they've paid back to their investors and its weekly running costs and all that stuff. But um, a really fascinating inside deep dive into the financials of an off-Broadway hit, especially a commercial off-Broadway hit where those are very, very, very few and far between. Uh, And like we've talked about before, this is one that I think can probably go on for a long time. Grace, I talked about the person with a friend of mine when I was in New York last week, talked about the person that we have previously discussed coming in to take over as Audrey. And as far as this person knows, that is still the case. I teased it last week when we announced the Corbin Blue and Constance Wu final performance dates. So again, as I said last week, it would be very cool if this person takes over the role of Audrey. But if she does get announced, we also have to check whether or not it is a humanoid robot that Jeffrey Wright created <laughs> instead. But also, Reeve Carney is no longer in Town. Maybe we could get him to come over and play uh, and play Seymour, have a little reunion there as well. Who knows? We could also get a little weird, and maybe she could team up with a former co-star that is currently starring in Merrily as well. So, I don't know. Maybe throwing this out there, picking up what I'm putting down. We will see. All right, that is all that we have for you today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can find me at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful hump day, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>